Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we launch a new series based in the book of Revelation called Love Letters from the Lord. Between now and Palm Sunday, we will examine a letter from Jesus to one of the seven churches in Revelation to glean what Jesus was saying to them and to us as a church. To get us started, we are joined by Nathan Glover of the Urban Impact Foundation as he preaches on Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Christ Church. How are you guys? I'm glad. I am also great because I'm so excited to get to speak here today. You could not ask for a better setup than what our band did. Wasn't that powerful? Oh, my word. I... And, you're, and the themes, it's amazing. We actually did not set this up, but the themes, I mean, they knew the passage at the very least, but the themes that they sang about are going to ring true in our message today. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about in this sermon series as I talked with the pastors here was two themes that I think are the strength of these messages for us today. The first theme is the idea that this is a universal letter. Unlike Ephesians or 1 Corinthians or Colossians, those were written to specific people in specific contexts. Now, does that mean it's not for us today? No, those letters are for us today. But they have a different feel to them. They're more contextualized. But this book that was written was written to the church universal. It was was a, was a, a letter written and intended to be passed around. So what was going on in Ephesus would be seen by Smyrna and Philadelphia and vice versa. And so what that does for us today is it it, it makes it easier for us to see how it it should be applied to the universal church, to the Catholic church, to all of us. And that was true then, and that is true today. So that's the first thing. The second theme, and this, this comes from the title, their love letters from the Lord. Our culture is struggling tremendously with figuring out what it means to love people. Tremendously. And when we look at the way that Jesus, who is love himself, for 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. So when love himself speaks, we are going to learn from these passages, one, what love is like, and two, how love deals with people. And so I want you to keep that in the forefront of your minds, not just as I speak, but throughout the entire sermon series because I think those are things that we're going to learn a lot about. Before we get into our passage today, let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would anoint my mouth to speak, that I'd be your mouthpiece, that anything you want me to say, I would say. Anything you do not want me to say, I would not. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. Grant me your grace. Grant us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Revelation chapter 2. If not, they should be on the side screens. Um, just a little intro to myself. My name is Nathan Glover. I work for Urban Impact Foundation. I am the so- eldest son of Pastor Ed Glover. Um, <laughs> I love him too. Yes, that's awesome. I, I'm happy. Like he, He's not even here and we're loving him. That's great. So I love Dad and Dad has been good to me and I'm excited to get to speak. Um, not on his behalf, on, my, on the Lord's behalf. But um, anyway, so let's, let's look at our, our passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at each passage individually and then give some commentary to kind of bring out what that passage is saying. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So the first thing that we should look at is who's talking. Who is the him? It's Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 is setting up the idea that John is writing this letter, but he's writing it in the spirit of the prophets of the Old Testament. When the prophets would write letters, when they would speak, they'd say, thus saith the Lord of angel armies, or thus saith the Lord of hosts. And so what is John doing? He's saying, I'm writing this letter, but it's not my message. This is the message from Jesus. And then what is he, how does he describe Jesus? He says he holds seven stars in his hands. Now, one thing we need to know when we're looking at Scripture is that when the Scriptures refer to stars, often but not always, they're talking about angels. That's, that stars are a symbolic reference to angelic beings. And so he has seven of them in his hands. Why seven? Because this letter is to seven churches. And so he's saying the seven angels that empower your churches, that protect your churches, Jesus holds them in his hands. And then it says that he walks among golden lampstands. What's that all about? Those golden lampstands are referring to the churches. So in the Jewish mind, when they think seven lampstands, they're thinking of a menorah. Right? Three on the sides and one in the middle. It's a menorah. And what did the lampstands stand for? In Jewish thought, it stood for the wisdom of God. The wisdom that shines out into darkness. And so when, so when the, the churches are being compared to these lampstands, what John is saying and what Jesus is saying about them is that you are the wisdom of God shining into darkness. And so what Jesus is saying is that what, Paul, what John is saying by giving Jesus this intro, he's saying that the power that you need, Jesus holds it in his hands. He holds it in his hands. And he's walking among you. And he's watching you. Verse 2 says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. I'm going I'm to also read verse 3. I think they're connected. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. What's he saying? These people have a passion for truth. They are willing to defend it. They're willing to take persecution for it. And they are willing to shine lights on heresy, on lies, because they're not willing to live in darkness. And we'll see later that they are also obedient in the face of disobedience. And the Lord Jesus says that this hasn't made them weak. It's made them strong. You would think that a church that is facing persecution from without that is facing heresy within and disobedience from within, would be a fledgling little church barely surviving. But Jesus says, no, it's the opposite. You, by defending my name and by standing, have become strong. And this is an, this is an experience I can affirm in my own life. When I, since I was 16 years old, I studied apologetics, the relationship between philosophy, science, faith, and history. And so I've had a passion for truth. And I've found that when I bring that passion before opposition, you would think it would weaken me or it would make me discouraged because I'm facing opposition. It actually does the opposite. What it does for me is it causes me to nuance my thoughts. It, cons- it causes me to break down what am I saying? What am I believing? Why am I saying it this way? And, w- and, w- and after the struggle, I come back stronger than when I went into it. It's like lifting weights. You're lifting weights and you're breaking down your muscles. 
But what are you actually doing? You're breaking them down that they might get built up bigger and stronger. And that's exactly what's happening in Ephesus. And Jesus is saying, well done. Well done, church. You are standing for my name and you are soaring on wings of eagles. You're running and not growing weary. You are walking and not fainting. But then in verse 4, it turns. Look with me. Verse 4 says, Yet I hold this against you. You have lost the love you had at first, or you have forsaken your first love. I'm going to read verse 5 too because it's connected. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Whoa. That is a serious threat from the Lord. Remove the lampstand. Remove their witness. Remove their church. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Ephesus, you are willing to fight for me, but you don't, but you're not loving me anymore. You're willing to fight for me, but you're not loving me anymore. Come back. Remember what it was like when you did love me and do those things. Because if you don't, I will remove you. Now can you imagine if you're facing all of these problems, what that would do to you? We're going to come back to that, but we're going to look at verse verse 6 together. Verse 6 says, but I have this, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice, practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what's he saying? I have not removed your lampstand yet because you are still being obedient in the face of disobedience. And what does the Gospel of John teach us? Jesus in the Gospel of John says that if you love me, you will obey my commands. And there is obedience still found among them. And so their lampstand remains for now, but they're headed in a trajectory that will remove it. But in verse 7, the Lord encourages him. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He's saying, hear me if you can hear me. If you repent, come back. Remember the things that you did at first. Because if you do this, if you are victorious, going back to that fighting language that the Ephesians like, if you are victorious, if you overcome, you will eat from the tree of life with me in my kingdom forever. Amen. And that's the power of repentance. That's what my father was talking about weeks ago. Repentance is a call to hope. It's not a bad thing. It's not something to beat you down. It is a call to hope. And that's what Jesus ends with. So what is the overview of this passage? There is a fighting church and it is Ephesus. And the power that they need is in the hand of God. But God is watching them. And he sees that they are warriors. But they're not lovers anymore. So I want to go back to that, that, that section, verses 4 and 5, where he's talking about their forsaking their first love. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Lord, I, we are fighting for you f- from outside threats, inside threats. We're doing all this for your name. And you say that we don't love you anymore. How could you say that, Lord? I imagine that if the Lord said that to me, It would cut me to my soul. And in fact, I don't really have to imagine because the Lord did say this to me once. If I was a pastor of a church, the natural bend of that church would be the church of Ephesus. Like I said, since I was 16 years old, I had a passion for truth. 
And when I talk to people who don't know the Lord, I cannot help but speak his name. Why? Because my relationship with Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And how can I say that I love you if I don't tell you? I have to tell you. If I really love you, I will tell you about the best thing. And so I want to do that. But I also want to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I want to fight against the enemies of my God because they are out to kill us. And so I will pray. I will get, I will get strapped up in the armor of God. I will spend time getting ready for battle. And I will immobilize the church to the best of my ability to do likewise with me. I will do it. But... When it comes time to get called away to spend time with the Lord in His Word, not because I'm not to try to figure something out, not to try to understand a theological principle or prepare for a sermon, but just to be with Him. Because He wants to be with me. Or when it's time to pray and I'm coming not to ask Him for something, but just to be in His presence. Or to be with His people. And not because I'm trying to mobilize them to do something great, but just to be with them because I love them. This is not naturally how I'm bent. And I have to discipline myself to do those things. And there was a time in my life where I was not disciplining myself. And great things were happening. The Lord was using me. But one day as I was preparing for a sermon, the Lord said this to me. He said, Nathan... One day this age will end. And when it ends, the war will be over. Satan will be defeated and evil with him. And everyone who can be saved will be saved. But then all you will have is me and my people. Now son, how can you say that you want to spend eternity just loving me and my people if in the short life I have given you, you cannot find it in your heart to spend time with me. How in this little life can you not find time to spend with me and then say you want to spend eternity doing that very thing? Nathan, that is hypocrisy. At that point, I'm crying, right? Because that's what I do when he hits me. And I go back to the Lord. I say, no, Lord, I do love you. And I spent time with him and with his people, not to get anything, but because I love them. Maybe there's someone in this room who's like me. And you're a warrior. But you struggle to be the bride of Christ. Spend time with him and with his people for its own sake. Repent with me. When Paul sent the letter to the Ephesian church, he gave them two images that come back, not, exact, not come back in the passage, but they're represented in this passage. The second one is the armor of God. And the Ephesian church clearly stuck to that one. But the first one is the bride of Christ. People say the Bible uses sexist language. I say it cuts both ways. We're all brothers in Christ. We're also all brides of Jesus. Right. I'm a bride of Jesus. I am, right? And so are you, fellas. (laughs) We are the bride of Christ. But the Ephesians have taken a second thing and made it the first thing. 
They put the cart before the horse. They have taken being a soldier in Jesus' army, and they've made that what they are first and foremost. When it is in reality, they are the bride of Christ, and out of that relationship, they become warriors. C.S. Lewis makes a beautiful statement when he says the following. He says, you cannot get second things by putting them first. You can only get second things by putting first things first. And that is why the Ephesians are going to lose their lampstand. It's like if if, if, if my bride, my wife Amy, came to me and said, Nathan, I am first and foremost a sandwich maker for you, and then I'm your bride. So, in other words, so, so then it'd be like, well, Amy, if that's the case, like, when you get, like, if you get sick and can't make sandwiches, like, are you not my wife anymore? Or, like, if you are not good at making sandwiches, are, like, we done? Or, like, what if I become a hot dog man in the future? And, like, I don't even want sandwiches. Like, marriage annulled? Right? Like, no, that's crazy. But that's what the Ephesians are doing. They're saying, we're warriors first. Then we're your bride. Jesus says, no way, because the war will end. Take a second thing, and they made it first. What is a church that doesn't love God? A church, it is dead. It's not a church at all. A church that doesn't love God is a school. You come, you get your lesson, and you leave. That's a school. And that is not what a church is. Schools produce ideas, and ideas need soldiers to propagate them. That's how it works. Why do ideologies like Marxism always come with soldiers? Because that's what they need. And the Ephesian church has produced a school. And it is this very thing that is disqualifying them from being a lampstand. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to take away your church, I'm going to remove, remove you, he is doing the most loving thing that he can possibly do. Because he's saying, look, the thing you're fighting for, the thing you're bleeding for, is the very thing that you're losing. It's the thing that you're losing. And you will force my hand to take it from you. Don't do that. Come back and love me as I love you. Be my bride. And then you can be my soldier. That's what Jesus is up to. So how do we avoid that today? How do we keep ourselves from being a school Well, two things that are big is the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the Lord, I talked to you about how the Lord worked with me in that way. And there's a lot that could be said there, so I don't really have time to get in to the details of that. But the second commandment, which Jesus said is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4.20 says, If you cannot love your brother who you can see, you cannot say that you love your brother who you can, or your father in heaven whom you cannot see. Church is a place where we come together to love each other as Christ has loved us. To love our neighbors as ourselves. How can we do that if we're not involved in each other's lives? It's not possible. Now, I'm all for giving lessons. I'm giving one right now. But if the reason that you come to church is to get a lesson, then you're missing a big part of what church is. Mm -hmm. 
When I was young, I was homeschooled for most of my education. And so I spent a lot of time with my family during the week. But I would look forward to the weekends because that's when I'd see my friends. And my parents let me see my friends a lot. Like for, for almost Friday through Sunday, I'd get to see my friends and then back with my family during the week. If you are not plugged in here, church will feel like a chore. It just will. Because you're going to get your lesson, and frankly, you could do that online. You, could, you can get better sermons than the one I'm preaching online. You can. Andy Stanley's out there. Right? Plus, all Billy Graham stuff's recorded. But what you can't get is this. All of us together. Worshiping the Lord as the body of Christ. That's what you can't get. Church, we have to get plugged in together. And so if you're you're not plugged in, I encourage you to join a small group, Bible study. There's awesome adult education here. Holly Campbell leads an awesome, fantastic uh, section of that. I was a part of it this last year. Great opportunities to get involved. And I know life is busy. My life is incredibly busy. But we, and I'm not saying we've got to be friends with everybody in the church, but we need to have some friends here. Because that's how we love each other. But the second thing is, if you have been here a long time, and you have friends here, and you do look forward to it, here's what you need to do. Open up your friend group to invite others in. When I first came to this church, I was in middle school. And I didn't know anybody my own age, and I came from a context totally different than this, because I grew up in the inner city. So when I got here, it was hard to make friends my own age. Grandpa John, John Guest, he he introduced me to lots of older people, because he dearly loved my father, and does still. But also, but I didn't know anybody my own age. Well, the youth pastor at that time Told, I, I believe this is what happened. I don't know this, but it seemed like this is what was happening. In other words, the youth pastor went to a table with two young men at it, talked with them, left. Shortly after that, they called me over to come sit with them and hang out with them. And so I came over and I sat with these two guys. And for the next two years, I looked forward to seeing those two guys every time I came to church. And it was through those two guys, because I was hungry for community. I was hungry to, to be at home here. And so through those two guys, I met everybody else in church. And by the time I'm a senior in high school, I become a leader in in the youth group. And I'm bringing my friends from the north side in droves to youth group here. But it it came because two young men were faithful to include me in their friend group. That's how it started. We can do this. We can do this. People are dying And they're dying for community. They don't want to go to a place that's just another school. That's just another thing they need to do. They want to find home. So church, let's do that. Let's bring them home to a church. Not a school. A place where we love one another as Christ loved us. And we worship Him together. Which is unique. I can worship Jesus by myself throughout the week. But when I come here... I worship Him with all of you. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much that You made us for community. 
Because the first community, the Trinity, is what life is all about. So Lord, help us, come. help us not to ever reject that. Help us always to receive that into our lives. Help us to want to be in each other's lives, even though it's hard, even though it is a little bit dangerous. But Lord, that's, that's what life was made for. And so Father, I encourage anyone who's in here, and I bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's seeking community and doesn't have it. May they find it, Lord Jesus. May they find it. May they, may they be in this church a, a, a people. May there be in this church a people so united under your banner that the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot stop us and will not stop us. And we will never lose our lampstand. In Jesus' name, amen.